host of Unstoppable Joy, and you um, are going to just love what we have to talk about today. Catherine, you shared with me a little bit earlier about some of the things going on that you have faced in your life. Will you share with the listeners today your story? Tell us where are you coming from? Yes, absolutely. Thank you for having me. It's just a, it's just such a joy to talk uh, to another believer about things that God is doing in their lives. It's just such a joy. About 15 years ago, I found myself homeless with my three kids. I was raised in the church and um, at some point decided that I wanted to be in the ministry. And I was in Bible school and um, working at a crisis pregnancy center. I had met my um, my husband. He came to volunteer at the crisis pregnancy center. Oh. And um we, you know, struck up a friendship and he uh, um, also was in the Bible school that I was in and um, we um, ended up getting married and found out we were pregnant right away after we got married. And oh, wow. Um, <laughs> so that was a big, big shock. And then um, within, you know, the first year of marriage, we had a newborn and his name was Keenan and um, he was born with a heart defect and oh. the doctors missed it. And he struggled for his life for the first couple of weeks. I kept on calling the doctor and, and saying, this is just weird. He's, he's panting and he's got this weird cough. And he, you know, we'd lay him down for a nap. His eye would swell up on one side. We put oh, him down Lord. on the other side and it would go down. The swelling would go down and they just kept passing me off as a nervous first time mom. Um, but then we finally got to uh, the hospital. The doctor had heard a murmur at the first week checkup, but she's like, it's probably nothing, but let's just check it anyway. But we didn't get in for our echo for another week. So we got to the hospital. Um, the technician was looking at him and she actually called the, the pediatric cardiologist in from home. And she came in and, and she also was almost ready to discharge us again from, from medical care. And oh my the word. technician said, have, have you looked at him? Um, and the lights were in, down low in the, in the ultrasound room. And so um, we turned the lights up and yeah, he was, he was, looked very blue. Wow. Um, and so she was, she was very calm. She's going to discharge him and your baby looks like. Yeah. That's insane. So, so yeah, so she was like very calm. She's like, well, I think we're going to, I think we're going to um, admit him to the hospital. Cause, cause some of these kids actually can go and, and not have surgery until they're like in junior high to repair this. But you know, she saw how bad he looked and she's like, yeah, we're going to admit him. And then the next, the attending or whoever I saw the, the pediatric ICU specialist was like, really kind of mad with me. She's like, your baby's in major heart failure and we don't know if we can save him. Like it was somehow my fault. And I was oh, like, my word. I was there by myself and oh. I was like, you know, trying not to like, you know, fall apart and try right. to be like present. And so they stabilized him at that hospital and then they transferred him the next day and they did open heart surgery. Mm. And then they sent him home in a week. 
And I was so consumed with caring for this baby who had almost died in my yeah. care that I didn't really realize what was going on with my husband. Mm. Um, he had made mention before I met him when he was um, in high school and he said he had done drugs and, you know, kind of lived a very rebellious life. But when I met him, he said that he had been clean for years. Wow. So I don't know if that's actually true or not, but when, um, when we were in the hospital and, and, uh, seeing Keenan on, you know, all hooked up to all these tubes and wires. And my husband was like, I wish they would give me some pain medicine. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that started the balls or the wheels turning in his head. Like mm -hmm. he just couldn't handle any of this. Um, right. He was a relatively new Christian. And so he didn't have that depth to know how to, how to handle uh, stress and conflict and you know, sure. tragedy. And when we got back home, um, I was caring for him. And my husband had actually started Bible school and then lost his job. So we had taken like just part-time jobs just to keep our, to pay for our insurance through the delivery. But then all this happened like a couple weeks later. And at that time we didn't have insurance. Oh, um, wow. And so we got this bill for $55,000. $55,000. 45, $45,000. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. yeah. This giant bill. And I just remember like being like, I'm not worried about it. Like <laughs> it's going to be taken care of. Like I had like this piece, like, like, you know, I did, I wasn't worried. And, mm -hmm. um, and he, he, he was looking at that bill and he's like, the only way I know how to make that kind of money is to sell drugs. Wow. And so he, he, all this stuff was going on with him and I had no idea. Um, he, actually started smoking pot, but I grew up in a Christian home. I had no idea. Like I never was around drugs. I wasn't a big partier. I didn't ever drink or smoke or any of that stuff. So like when that happened and, and he started smoking pot, he was never doing it around me. I just had no idea. I just thought he told me he was smoking and, and I, and I thought that's the worst smelling smoke because <laughs> you could smell it on him. <laughs> it was the worst smelling smoke I've ever smelled you know, just totally naive to all that and finally figured out what was happening and confronted him. Like you can't be smoking pot and be in Bible school. That just doesn't, you gotta, you gotta get your heart right. Go talk to pastor, you know, the dean of the school. And, you know, I, I figured he would work things out, you know, be repentant and, you know, change his ways. Well, what happened was he just stepped down from being in Bible school Wow. And then um, he switched to taking pills because I wasn't able to, you know. You couldn't smell the pills. Yeah. And then by the time my son was a year old, my husband was a full-blown heroin addict. Oh, my And I was expecting our second son. Mm. And we went through all kinds of prayer and counseling. And we went through, like, you know, we had a whole church service just for prayer for my husband, trying to get him to be delivered. I mean, there was all my women's ministry ladies were praying and um, my family didn't know what was going on. They, they had not really liked him. And so we were kind of estranged because they were very against me getting married to him. Oh, um, and so that was hard, not being able to share that with them. And, but I, I really didn't want everybody's input. I wanted to hear from God, what was I supposed to do you know, and everybody would have been like, you know, well, a lot of people were like, you should just leave him. And, 
And I wanted to hear from God. I didn't want that noise in that, in their opinions to weigh what I felt God was saying to me. And I, and I prayed and I really felt like God said to, that I was supposed to stay with him and love him Mm -hmm. and, and try to help him through this. And so it was, you know, months of awful times. Like I remember one night, like he, he was want, he, every night I should say, we would have Bible studies together. And those were the times where I saw his heart. He was the most sober and he was crying out to get deliverance. And so I think that part of the reason I was able to stay with him as long Mm -hmm. as I did, because I was hearing his heart I was hearing him pray and asking God for deliverance. There's so many stories of things that happened during that time, um, demonic things that I saw, just horrible things happen. Mm. I remember one point being so angry. I was, you know, pregnant ladies are super hormonal anyway. (laughs) And I remember being pregnant, you know, and my, you know, infant son is, you know, in the crib next to my bed and we would have Bible study, my husband and I, and then I would go to bed and he would either, he would stay up and do drugs. And sometimes he would leave and be gone most of the night and then, or come in, you know, middle of the night. And I remember like laying there and he, in the midst of all of this, he started writing bad checks. I had added him to my bank account and he started writing bad checks, stealing, stealing from the church, like just all this stuff happened. He destroyed my credit. We had to surrender a vehicle. We, I mean, there was so much stuff going on, like anything of value that we had in our home, like he was selling so he could get money for drugs. And it was, it was such stressful time. And I remember laying in bed one night and he was gone and just praying and, and being so angry because mm. night after night, you know, we'd pray, we'd have that time together. And then he would leave and go and do drugs again. And I was just so frustrated and so hurt. Like he would mess with my mind. And I would say, mm-hmm. you know, I know you're doing drugs again. He's like, how could you doubt me? How could you doubt that? I, and it, you're like messing yeah. with my mind, you know? Yeah. And we were fighting constantly. And cause I just, I was like, you've got to make steps to stay away from this. And anyway, so I remember laying in bed being very, very angry and feeling just consumed, consumed mm-hmm. with that anger. That anger can just it's a false sense of control. You yeah. know, like if I'm angry, if I am making his life miserable and lashing out at him, then somehow I'm going to get my way. Somehow right. he's going to change and I'm vindicated. I'm, I have a right to be angry. And I remember like just laying in bed and just seizing with anger yeah. and being very pregnant and thinking this is not healthy for my baby. This is not healthy for me. And knowing that when I thought about, you know, knowing that I needed to forgive and knowing that when we don't forgive, that's kind of like a a wall between us and God, because the scripture says that, you know, if the, the in the Lord's prayer, yeah. it says, you know, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And basically by my demanding my way, holding on to my anger and holding on to my unforgiveness towards my husband, I was, it was hindering my relationship with God. Yeah. And 
I was in such a place that I was like, I cannot have anything in my way of my relationship with God because he is everything that is keeping me sane right now. Right. He is the only, <laughs> the only thing that I feel is steady and stable. And like, he's my, he was my grounding. He was everything. Right. When so your like, husband couldn't be who he needed to be, God was your husband. Mm-hmm. He was your caretaker. He was your, yeah, he was our safety net. And when, when we separate. Yeah. It's <laughs> like, so, so I have this dilemma, like hang on to my anger and not have my, my strength, my peace, my joy from my relationship with God, or, you know, like those are my two options. Like mm-hmm. I can give in to my anger and, and be estranged from God who I have to have every day to get through this awful time. Mm -hmm. So I remember laying there and just being just so, so angry. And I was like, God, what do I do with this anger? How do I get rid of this? And I felt him say to me, give it to me. And my next question kind of surprised me because I was like, well, then what will I have? Mm. Because it's something that we hang on to and it's awesome. And I felt like he said, you'll have brokenness. Oh, and I was like, wow. Because I was just crying, you know, I was like, okay. But you, but thinking about that, that brokenness, you know, the, the scripture says that God is near to the brokenhearted and he resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. And that by hanging on to the anger and, and, and my right to be angry and try to make my husband pay for like crap that he's putting us all through, right. you know, God was not able to come and move in my life, in my situation. Anger feels like control. Brokenness feels very vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. So I didn't, I wasn't perfect, but you know, like I had to go through the steps of forgiving you know that 70 times seven because every single night mm-hmm. he would go and do the same thing over and over again and um eventually we um he went through a medical detox um he ended up on methadone treatment um, but he was still they they say you're not supposed to do street drugs with your methadone while well, he was doing both wow. you know it got to the point where he was just skin and bones Um, And a friend of ours told us about a program down in Alabama called Canaan Land. It's similar to Teen Challenge. Okay. It's a year-long in-house program. And he left a week before my second son was born. So I was on my own with um, the boys. They're 14 months apart for an entire year. Wow. We continued on. Um, He got to the point where he was six months in and I sold what we had left in um, Michigan and moved down to Alabama so we could be near him. I didn't want the boys not to know him. Okay. Um, and I wanted a good place for us to start over. And so he got out of the program and he was healthy and radiant and definitely delivered and, and healthy, you know, from the damage that he had done to his body. And we had a member of our church that had taught him how to um, repair leather and vinyl. So he had a, he was, had a business then he was running. 
Mm -hmm. And um, my daughter was born down in Alabama. So then we had three kids. Things were pretty rough financially. Um, the market had kind of crashed and uh, people weren't buying cars as much. And so um, we ended up, I wanted to go back to school to help financially with the, you know, paying and supporting the family. And so I, we talked about going back to Michigan and I asked him repeatedly if he was going to be okay. Mm. Most of the people that he had done drugs with had died um, oh, wow. from doing drugs. And so he uh, said, oh, I'll be fine. I'll be fine. Uh, we needed, we really needed family support for me to go back to school if he was working and I was going to school full time. So that's what we decided. We moved back to Michigan and within a short time, he got back into everything, oh. um, was taking pills um, that the doctors prescribed him as well as um, he had started growing poppies and he was like making poppy tea and which is also part of heroin. And then he, um, we again, went through counseling and prayer and talking to our pastor. I, you know, we were just begging him to stop. And uh, he, he said to our pastor, he's like, I'm not, I'm not stopping. There's nothing wrong with what I'm doing. And Hmm. our pastor said, so what you're saying is you're choosing drugs over your wife and kids. And he said, yeah, Wow. without any hesitation. And so I begged him to stop. I, you know, I thought just stop for like three weeks. That's what I said. I just want you to stop for like three weeks and thinking, you know, he'll get it out of his system. He will, you know, get his head on straight. We can put all this behind us and move on. But then the next thing I knew, um, he was growing pot in our basement. Oh, wow. So my name is on the deed to the house. And I was in nursing school at the time. I had just one year left, of, you know, nine months left of school. Um, I, you know, if, if the police had found out, like I, I would have been also like liable oh. and I could have lost the ability to um, support my family through nursing and also would have lost my kids, you know, so I made that hard decision to turn him in and, and file for a divorce. Mm. Things had also begun to get violent um, with him. He he had been in an accident while using drugs and totaled his truck. And so I had asked, you know, or he was wanting to take my car one night and I was trying to keep him from going out because with his accident, he had also seriously Im- uh, injured another lady. Oh, man. Initially, he told me that he didn't, he wasn't taking drugs when he had his accident. And then later he did tell me and, and I disclosed all that to the police, um, but he got away with it. He wasn't charged with anything. He was not charged with anything? Nope. <laughs> anyway, so I, uh, I was trying to get him not to take my car and he started getting violent. And then he got, he got sent to jail or he was arrested and his dad was going to um, bail him out. So he got sent to jail, like he was getting violent. Did you call? Did you call the police at that point? No, I didn't call the police at that point. He ended up, you know, taking my car and leaving. Okay. And then, you know, several days later, I finally filed for divorce and and I turned him in. And at the time that he was arrested, you know, that they came into our house and I let them into our house. And so they could see what he was doing. And he said to me, this is what your God does. He was just very, very angry with me. And because he had destroyed my credit the first time, 
when he started the business, I wouldn't let him put my name on anything. And then I was going to try to stay in our house. And so my name wasn't on any of the financial stuff. So legally, I couldn't just pay the bills. Oh. And so I went to see him in jail to see if he would give me permission to pay the bills. And he was just like a ravenous animal. He was so angry with me. Um, and I felt like if, if he could have gotten through that glass, he would have killed me. Hmm. I just, I was terrified. So I, um, I knew his dad was going to bail him out. I just, I took the kids and we fled. We packed up just like, you know, just the essentials and, and we left. We didn't know, let anyone know where we were. Um, his family didn't know. Thank God my sister um, knew what was going on and she offered for us to all come live with her. That was just a huge blessing. But it was several hours away from my college and where I was going to school. I thought about like dropping out of the program and, you know, just finding a job someplace. But I knew that if I finished, I would have a better opportunity of or way of providing for my family. So I commuted. I would leave the boys with my sister. Um, they were in, in elementary school at the time and my daughter was just three. And so I would take her with me. And we would go over um, towards where the college was. I would stay with friends. I would go to school, try to group my days together. So I wasn't gone more than a couple of days a week and then go back um, and be with the boys and my sister the rest of the time. And that, that was the last nine months of school. I did that. Yeah. So you, you knew that he was going to go out. And so you fled. What did that feel like in that moment? It was just horribly sad. It was horribly sad and just also just, the constantly looking over my shoulder, because even though I was then, you know, living hours away, I was still having to come back to the area and he knew where my college was. And yeah. I was just so worried. And, and like, I let the, um, my college know, um, you know, my, my classmates know. So they were also looking out for me too. Wow. But yeah, I just remember like being in survival mode and just, I remember so many times, like, driving and just spending time in worship and just pouring my heart out to the Lord. Like, God, you know, I, I really still believed even after I filed for divorce and, and he was in jail, I really believed that somehow God was going to deliver him, wow. that somehow he was going to, God was going to put our family back together. Mm -hmm. I didn't want to be divorced. You know, I wanted my husband to be healthy and I had started praying, not just Lord deliver my husband, but Lord deliver us because, you know, you become one flesh. And, you know, I felt like my life had just been hijacked and, and, and it was so out of my control. I was, you know, everything about my life was being negatively sucked down by this whole situation. Yeah, it was, it was a really just, I mean, to say that time was difficult is like just such an understatement. I remember feeling like I was hanging on the edge of a cliff by my fingernails and I, every moment I needed Christ to, to help. Oh, yeah. So you think when you, when you drove back and forth and you had those worship times, I know when I'm in the car and I'm just by myself or I'm in that moment, there's just, there's something that God gives you when you're worshiping him. Mm -hmm. You know, do you think that in some ways that travel back and forth was a time of, of refreshing, a time of intimacy, a time of, do you see that 
looking back. Yeah, absolutely. It's funny now I'm, I'm working as a nurse practitioner and I have to drive an hour one way just to get to my job. And I remember I've been like struggling, like, God, why am I having to drive so far? And you know, I don't like to drive, <laughs> especially in the winter. And it's been like these awesome times of prayer and praise. And, yeah. you know, I, I really sense that he is, you know, because otherwise when we were at home or whatever, it's so easy to pick up your phone or, or be distracted by the laundry or the dog has to be let out or, you know, it's like, you don't have that focus. Mm -hmm. Fortunately, I mean, when I first, um, when I was in high school and I um, really began to get on fire for the Lord, I would spend a lot of time in prayer, and yeah. a lot of time in worship, a lot of time in the word. And, and I feel like he's, he's saying, you're going to need this. Yeah. So especially with starting the podcast and, and wanting to be an open vessel and hearing from the Lord and being able to pour out, you have to have stuff poured in. So, right. Right. So, I mean, the name of your podcast is unstoppable joy. So you, you just talked us through like quite a bit of your story. How did you, how did you make it through? I mean, you, at this point you haven't got divorced yet. No. You're still thinking like, maybe we can save this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe we can save this. Maybe we, we can, uh, God's going to put everything back and make everything right again. And, um, I, I went through a lot of counseling because mm -hmm. it was really hard to feel like God wasn't coming through. And there was, um, there were times where I just felt like, God, where are you? Yeah. And I, and I know that I, I believe that God can do anything. He can move and he can heal and he can deliver and he can restore Amen. things that are broken, but he doesn't, he doesn't mess with our ability to have free will. Yeah. And, you know, unfortunately my husband, ex-husband, he chose not to continue to fight for his uh, deliverance and his yeah. freedom from drugs. And it destroyed us as a family. It just has destroyed him and he's still using drugs. Oh. Um, the joy that, that I have hung on to is my relationship with Christ and knowing that no matter what I go through, no matter how hard things are, that I can always go to him and his arms are open wide, no matter how much of the mess was created by myself or someone else, or just the situation, you know, that I find myself in, mm -hmm. that I can always go to him and he is always there to encourage me and just to be there with me, if nothing else, to be there with me and tell me that, that he's there and that he's going to help me through it. Mm -hmm. Did you have any verses that you clung to? Are there things that you, you knew, like you said, when you let go of anger, what do you have left? You have brokenness. And you talked about the Lord is near those who are brokenhearted. I think for me, um, all along the way, you know, it's just been a, a learning of how to be, how to trust God and how to like see things that, you know, like Joseph, his story is just so encouraging to me of all the things that he went through mm. and, you know, he was falsely accused of rape and imprisoned and, you know, sold into slavery by his family, the people that should have been loving him and right. understanding. And like, he was hated by them and he was, you know, they were like ready to kill him and to watch him go through all of that and then end up at the end of the story uh, being what, what, 
what the enemy or what you meant for evil, God has used for good. And How much is a transformed life worth? Did you know only two out of 10 students will make it all the way through high school in Haiti? But even though Haiti is in a humanitarian crisis, there are children who are learning how to dream. We want to invite you to be a hero in a young student's life. We want to invite you to sponsor a high school student so that they will continue to attend high school. They won't be part of the statistic. They will learn critical thinking and leadership and hands-on skills, and you will be empowering them to make the change that we all wanna see in Haiti. We invite you to come along. Go to www.reachoutlefund.org slash give. There you can set up a monthly payment or a one-time payment, but we would love to have you partner monthly with us. Would you be a hero? That's the one thing that I keep on, that I've always told my kids, and I, and I truly believe this, like everything that happens to us, every bit of our story, good, bad, ugly, indifferent, you know, the things that you do every day, the, the, the um, mistakes that you've made, the, the things that have happened to you, mm-hmm. God uses all of that, uses all of it to better you, to draw you closer to him. If I hadn't gone through this situation, I remember when I first got married, I was, I was very bold and I was very, I guess, I would probably be considered a, a Pharisee, you know, very, <laughs> very legalistic, you know, sure. black and white, right and wrong. Like I just had no, I had a lot of truth. I had a lot of truth of the word, but not a lot of grace, not a lot of mercy and pretty much no compassion. And I remember I was in Bible school at the time and we did personality tests and I was uh, D, you know, or like very dominant, very <laughs> like, very like truth oriented, you know. And I did another one after we went through my divorce and it was mercy. Wow. And God changed me. He changed my heart. Cause I remember like thinking about the divorced people at my church, like they were some kind of second class citizen, you know, and, oh, ouch. Yeah. you know, like having that yeah. attitude and after going through what I went through and experiencing all of that, you know, mm-hmm. pain going through that and knowing that because I feel like every divorce, every relationship that crumbles, it's not just one-sided. No. Two people have to be part of that. And, you know, and I say that I tried to save my marriage, but like I said, I was really angry mm-hmm. and I'm sure I wasn't very fun to live with. Right. I know I wasn't, you know, I, and I was, I was very hard on my ex-husband and, and I've had to work through some of that, a lot of that in uh, therapy, mm-hmm. trying to own my part of it. You know, not that I don't have, he had no part in it because he did. And I believe he had a big part in it, but sure. I have to own my part too. Yeah. You know, what, what was it that, what part did I not support him in? What part was, was it my fault of not, you know, maybe having more counseling you know, as a couple beforehand uh, or not recognizing things that he was going through or being insensitive to him mm-hmm. um, and not being able to give him some mercy to help him work through things in a different way. But, but yeah, God changed me. He changed me into a different person where I'm more compassionate and I'm 
I'm more caring and, and I see hurting people and I don't see them like, you know, the story of the, the Pharisee who's praying, thank you, Lord, that I'm not like that person <laughs> over there. You know, <laughs> I see them and I'm just like, my heart breaks for them, Yeah. you know? And I, and I feel like I remember when we were first married praying, God, I want every drop of blood that you paid for me. I want the benefit of that in my life. I don't want any, anything that you suffered to go in vain for me. Mm-hmm. You suffered in vain for me. I want to know all of it. I want to, I want to, I don't want to have lived my life and have a regret that I didn't have you living there in my life and changing mm-hmm. me and that I want all of what you have purchased for me. And I feel like a big part of that is like, we have to understand the suffering of Christ before we can understand the joy. Mm-hmm. And there are times when, you know, I, we all struggle with the why, why would God allow this? Why wouldn't he redeem my husband? Why wouldn't he put my family back together? But ultimately I know it, it was for my good. You know, if our relationship had been mended, if it, things would have been back together. I don't know if I would have been as compassionate. I don't know if I would have had that deep understanding of the divorced person and what they go through. And I definitely wouldn't be able to speak to other people who've been divorced that are Christians that struggle with, is it okay for me to be divorced? Is it okay? Like, does God still accept me as a divorced person? Because so much of the scripture is like, God hates divorce. So you start feeling like, well, does God hate me? Right. Do, do I not have his favor anymore? And right. the thought of not having that close knit relationship with God is unbearable to me. Mm-hmm. And so like, I'm, I guess my, my thing is absolutely God loves you. He died not only for the divorced person, but the people that aren't divorced mm-hmm. and he loves us and he, he forgives us. Yeah. And when he died on the cross, it wasn't like, well, I will forgive you if you do this. Right. Or you don't do this. It was, it was, I forgive it all. Yeah. And it's not what I do. And it's not what, what, what things I can do or say or make him love me more, Mm -hmm. but he's loved me as much as he ever could. The day that I ended up divorced from the day that I was born, like, you know, he, he loves me unconditionally. Yeah. But he loves me so much. He doesn't want to leave me. Exactly the way I find myself in a mess. So <laughs> that's the thing that I had to deal with me coming from the other side, not an abusive relationship, but having an affair and then walking that, that shame of, I am a second class citizen. I am like, how could, if anybody knew, and it was very hidden, I didn't say that part out loud. And so that was always, you know, Satan always had that over me. of like, if people only knew who you really were, your you're an imposter. You're at this, you're, you know, you're not enough. You're not enough. You never can be enough. You never can do enough. Yep. You've got this past. Yep. And then when I, I had, I had worked through that, but just this last summer, I had came, come to the Zechariah passage. And even just this last week, I looked at it again because I was looking at the word rest. And, and I noticed in that passage, Yeshua didn't take off his own clothes and he didn't put on the new clothes. He didn't do any of it. Christ took it off and he said, today your sins are forgiven and the angels put on the new clothes for Yeshua. We don't do anything for our salvation. Oh, yeah. You know, I was reading in, 
um, I have to look up the verse, but Paul was saying, talking about the rest and that God had come to give his people rest. You know, he had that first day of the week and we get that rest. The people couldn't accept it, but then he's come again. And when Christ came, he gives us this true rest, right? But I thought about how that day of rest, it's not a, it's not a punishment. That's, that represents the rest we get in our salvation. Like there is nothing that we can do. We can't lift a finger to change our salvation or to get it. It's just completely given. And we can just rest in that. We can just be in that, right? But he loves us enough, like you said, that we still have work to do. And that's not necessarily to make us okay for him because he we have the righteousness of Christ. But that's so we recognize we're enough for us. We recognize in this world that we can be and do and conquer and he gives us this power we can conquer our our battles that we're dealing with i was reading in joshua and joshua conquered king after king after king and then there was rest and i thought how many times do we have to conquer kings you know like <laughs> we have so many kings in our life that are running in our head and yeah. so i'm just like what is that king i need to conquer today you know um, but it's not for my salvation it's for my rest after he conquered a king then the land had rest. The conquering of these battles in our life and these the the changing and the morphing, that's not for our salvation. That's for our own peace. That's for our own good. And for the good of others. Like you said, like you went through that really difficult time. The same thing with me. I mean, I can see it a mile away if somebody's hurting from an adulterous relationship. Or I I got to a point so, so low. I tell people it's like I really felt like a zombie. I call it my zombie stage. Today, I fill out my eyes. I see you now. But in that time, it was like my eyes were in the back of my head. And I was looking through this long tunnel. Like I was just this little peanut inside. I really was a shell of a person. And when people say shell of the person, I never know what that meant until I went through all that I did. And it took me a long time to forgive. But once I started forgiving myself and recognizing and just getting into the word daily, like I wasn't in the word daily until after that. And now it's like, I can't man, if I go a day without getting in the word, that's just my source. It's my food. It's my strength. It's my, you know, it is living and alive and it does change you. But the compassion that I have now is a lot different than the compassion I had before when I was the perfect Christian, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I have this, I have this past and, and Satan for a long time made me hide it. He didn't make me, I chose, but he told me I needed to hide that because nobody would accept me. I wouldn't be good enough. But the reality is what in Revelations it says, it's by the power of our testimony, right? Our testimony is our power. And that's why Satan wants us to hide it. That's why he doesn't want us to share it. And the more we share our testimony, the more people see they're not alone. They're not alone in their battle. Because I don't know if you ever felt alone, but I felt alone. (laughs) Very much so. You know, you you said your family didn't know everything that was going on for a while. And you probably wanted to protect your husband and how alone you must have felt in that moment. Feeling alone can be such a place where Satan can attack us. And so he wants us to stay hidden. He wants us to stay alone, you know. And I think that for me, that's part of this podcast is just helping people know that they're not alone. You know, we all have, some of us have big things. And some of us have little things, but everything in our own life, it's all, everybody's giant is their own. I live in Haiti. And so I have these 
some pretty big giants and obstacles I have to deal with. And sometimes my friends in the States will be either like, they don't want to share their story that they're struggling with because it doesn't seem as big and like, oh, it's a first world problem, but it doesn't mean it's not a problem. Everybody's situation is unique to them, unique to them. And God sees those mountains and those giants in everybody's life. They're different, but they're still there. And we still have to attack the same way. Mm-hmm. And we have to attack with finding that joy, with finding that forgiveness. Because like you said, you had every right to be mad at your husband. And I've had gone through some stuff with my current husband. I'm married to a, a, a Haitian. So we have different cultures and we have different things. And I could say like, anybody would know that I have a right to be mad right now. But like you said, it's like, that's what I hold on to. That's my power. I have a right to be mad, but then I also have a right to stay angry and ornery and lose my energy and lose my joy. And and I can choose. I can either stay mad and hang on to that, or I could say, okay, like, I'm gonna let that go. Cause it's not about deserving. It's actually about me. It's like, what am I going to do? How do, do I want to stay in this anger? Cause it doesn't feel good. Or do I want to release it? Even though in the world, it says I have a right. I want to release it and allow the joy of the Lord to come in, allow forgiveness and mercy. I want mercy when I mess up. I want to give mercy away as well, you know? And so it is, it's just, these battles are, are every day, but the, the same battle over the big stuff and the little stuff is the same. It's how do we choose? What do we choose to do? God gives us that power, but we still, we have that human choice. He doesn't take it from us. He says, here it is. You can take it, but you have to choose to do it. Yeah. You know, and you had to choose to leave your little ones and go to school and you had to make that choice every day and you had to make that choice to forgive. Sometimes it still haunts you. I mean, for me, sometimes things come back and I have to be like, you know, I'm much faster now to say, oh no, 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 Satan, that's not, we're not going to go there today. But there are times where like, it'll sit and run. The, The real will go over and over in my head and I have to pull back. God in his goodness fills us with the Holy Spirit. And fills us with his righteousness and says, I have created a new, a new being in you. And you don't have to be that way anymore. You don't have to sit in that anymore. So where are you today? So today I am just very, I don't like the word content because to me, it almost sounds like a settling. Sure. Um, I, I like to say I'm kind of, I'm satiated. I'm like so full. Uh-huh. I, I mean, that. I just feel like like, you know, the fatness of the Lord, that fatness <laughs> of the spirit. I just, I'm just so full. I'm just so full of the goodness of God, of just in awe of what he's done. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's so much more to my story as far as like the things that my kids and I went through, you know, to get to this point here today. Um, my oldest turned 23 just a couple weeks ago now. And, um, Coming up is the anniversary of when he had his heart surgery, and that's always right around Thanksgiving. So um, we're always just really grateful for that, you know, that that God saved him and mm-hmm. he's doing well. He doesn't have any health issues related to the the Amazing. fact that he, his aortic arch was narrow and actually pinched off at one point. Wow. And so, um, by the grace of God, he is still alive and and well. And then my second born. Um, just got married. He's 21 and he's got a lovely wife and they are on fire for the Lord and Mm. active in their, their church family. And my youngest is still at home with me here. She um, is 18 and is also uh, going to nursing school. So good for her. 
So I'm, I'm in the process of, you know, working as a nurse practitioner and building my podcast and recently got engaged. So I'm excited about that too. How exciting. Yeah. So, so I, I, I taught an etiquette class and you're not supposed to say congratulations because you're not a prize and nor is he. So, so I'm excited for you and I pray blessings <laughs> over your marriage. <laughs> and if you want to be prizes for each other, congratulations. He, he is a prize. He's a treasure. That's for absolutely, sure. Absolutely. So what, what, what are you going to share with your listeners on the podcast? What are they going to hear from you? I really have a heart for people that are struggling with overcoming, um, you know, the things that life throws at you, Mm -hmm. whether that's illness, whether that's divorce, whether that's a sick child, whether it's, you know, dealing with addiction. Addiction is one thing that I never wanted to know so much about, (laughs) but so many people's lives are touched by addiction these Mm -hmm. days. It's, it's an epidemic of itself. Um, yeah. I see it all the time in my practice, people coming in drug seeking, or so many people have been put on a narcotics for pain that they, you know, for chronic pain. And a lot of them, um, the doctors haven't done their due diligence to even see if they, why they would have chronic pain. So, you know, that, that's a big part of, you know, what, what I've seen, but what I want to do is, is just offer hope and encouragement and help people find that true joy um, that comes from knowing Christ and and not letting the stuff that can just weight us down, um, the, the cures and the troubles and the trials of life to weight us down. I have a lot of practical um, tips, you know, talking about forgiveness, talking about, you know, dealing with anger, talking about self-care. When I got to the point where I was going through my divorce, I was incredibly unhealthy. Um, I was 80 pounds heavier than I am now and just struggling. And I was in, you know, school full time and eating terribly. And I felt miserable and I felt I was unhealthy mentally, emotionally, physically. My spiritual life was the one thing that was going well, but everything else was a mess. So I have a lot of like tips and just practical advice on, on how to regain those healthy habits and how to kind of bring wellness into your life uh, as a whole. Also, I'm going to have, you know, I've got some great friends and uh, pastors that I will be interviewing, um, Mm. talking about divorce, talking about, my sister is actually a therapist. So the sister that invited me to come live with her, she is a, is a um, licensed therapist. Okay. And husband is an attorney. So I would joke that my counsel and my counsel were right down the hallway. (laughs) Yeah. So my brother-in-law, I'm planning to have him on there to talk about divorce and, and just practical advice about like, you know, how to, how do you handle a divorce? And, you know, Mm -hmm. when it gets to that point and my dad was also an attorney, he, uh, he always spent time trying to reconcile the couples before he would agree to do um, a wow. divorce for them. So, you know, finding a good Christian attorney that would, you know, talk you through things and be able to help you if that is uh, an option for you. Just like I said, very practical things. Um, I have a lot of um, things that I did with my kids to help them cope with things. My sister was just a huge resource for that, like parenting and you know, how to help kids process the whole divorce and that sort of thing. So give us one of those tips. If you're going through a divorce right now and you, you see your kids struggling, what would, what would be 
one or two tips you would give them? One of the things that we did every night we had dinner together, mm -hmm. I think that's huge, that alone. Yeah. Um, but I would get a big piece of paper and it would cover the entire table and I have crayons and I would let them sit there and draw and, and we would talk after mm -hmm. dinner. You know, sometimes I'd read a scripture, but we would always help them get in touch with like how they're feeling because a lot of times kids don't know how to express what they're feeling. We would do things like we'd say best and worst. What's your, what's the best thing that happened today? And what's yeah. the worst thing that happened today? And then talk about how did that make you feel? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, and then also with the crayons and stuff, they would color and, you know, I just, yeah. we love, they still to this day, like love that. Whenever we have like some sort of like family thing, we always have to have a big piece of paper. So everybody <laughs> but just, you know, being able to, to express their, um, their emotions mm -hmm. and in a safe place, like talk about like, you know, so-and-so called me a name today and it made me really mad. And, you know, like, you know, being able to explain, like, you know, talk about like, why would, why did that make you mad? Did it, did it, what, what, what did they say? And is there any truth to that? And, you know, mm -hmm. discussing stuff, basically yeah. keeping those lines of communication open is huge. And then I also, every bedtime, you know, I would spend time with them each individually. They would have their mom time. And so mm -hmm. I would go and I would cuddle with them and we'd either read books or whatever. And just so they could have that connection mm -hmm. of knowing that they were valued and important and they, and, and I had, they had my attention. Yeah. Those things, you know, basically spending time with your kids is just huge. Yeah. Having that undistracted, not on your phone, not on the computer, mm -hmm. not cleaning or cooking or whatever, you know devoted time to spend with them and and they each had 15 minutes with me is what they had before bedtime 15 to, to 20 but nice. um but we start bedtime you know everybody had their roles and um, their time of stuff that they were supposed to be doing when when the other ones were spending time with mom and you know, just <laughs> being very organized was huge for being a single mom yeah. there's I mean there's just it's overwhelming and I remember praying like Lord you never meant for uh, a woman to carry this load by herself Mm -hmm. it's it's can be uh, overwhelming and, and crushing so you know finding also time from for myself and and spending time in prayer yeah what is one thing that you did that really sticks out for me when I had my divorce it was the divorce even though I was the one that called for it I was the one that walked into the the affair I was out of the affair at that moment but it was like the darkest day of my life even though I wanted it what did you do was there anything specific you did to choose joy after that divorce? What was one self-care that you could, or one, one piece of advice when you're fresh and you're hurting? I, um, it was really something that God showed me. I remember like having, like you said, just those dark days. Mm -hmm. And I actually had a dream, a vision dream. I don't know what to call it, but like I saw myself sitting in a chair chained to that chair like mm. being hung over like a gorge mm. mm -hmm. um, and I was like leaning forward in this chair and there was nothing I could do physically to get out of these chains to get out of this chair to save myself and I was hanging over this grand canyon and I remember being terrified and and just feeling like the Lord impressing on me that in order to get out of this you have to worship mm. and I had stopped worshiping 
okay. through all of the divorce and through all of the busyness of life. And, you know, I, I play guitar and I sing and, and, um, and led worship many times. And I just, I just felt like when I started worshiping again, that heaviness started mm-hmm. to lift yeah. and the atmosphere in my home changed. Mm. There was a lot of conflict over the years and whenever I would lax on my worship and spending time actually singing and worshiping in my home, it's like things would, would kind of slide back. You know, we'd mm-hmm. have more, more conflict and, and more trials. For many years, I felt like anytime I took a step forward in Christ, I would get attacked. Mm-hmm. And so I found that again, like Jehoshaphat, when he sent the troops out, they sent the worshipers ahead mm-hmm. of the of the army and um, it caused the, the enemy to be confused and, and to turn on each other and, and basically won the victory for um, the saints. So that story's always stuck in my head and, and spending that time in worship has been just very vital to my continuing to move ahead and find joy in, mm-hmm. in my life. I love that about the worship. I'm in the really weird part of scripture right now and it's I was reading Chronicles this morning. So it was just talking about like, you know, John, genealogy after genealogy. And I'm like, why am I even going through this? But I was noticing they had the genealogy of the musicians that David had for the temple. And I thought they don't have genealogy of the warriors. There's that's not in there. Wow. But there's a genealogy of the musicians, wow. you know, and how important they were. You know, we don't, we don't always see how important worship is, but it's really, th- I mean, the worshipers, the musicians, and then another part was where like, they were part of the gatekeepers, but the musicians didn't have any other job because they were, they were on call 24 seven to, to worship whenever they needed to be, to be called out. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, the same thing when they walked around that the trumpets went first, mm-hmm. the musicians brought in so much and our worship is very powerful. And I don't think we always recognize that. Paul, when did his chains come off in the jail? (laughs) When they were singing. (laughs) They were singing at midnight, worshiping God in the middle of prison. And that's when his chains fell off. It's powerful. It's easy to say, well, it's just singing or it's just music, but no, it's more. It's Mm -hmm. so much more. Satan is trying to beat us down and distract us and destroy us he comes to kill and destroy and um and steal and when we can in that moment change it and say no even though even though i will worship god yeah yeah and and i think it's it's so powerful to worship in the midst of the pain Mm -hmm. and and it's like you know it's an affront to the enemy because he's so trying to discourage you he's so trying to like dissuade you from trusting God to quite, you know, he's trying to get you to question whether God's good, whether he's going to come through for you. And it's almost like, you know, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, like even, even if God doesn't rescue us from this fiery furnace, he is, you know, we still are going to worship him. Yeah. And him alone. It is. It's the, even if, you know, our heart of gratitude of, of, for what God does for us, these things that we can see, but it's really about who he is, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Worship isn't about what God does for us. It's who he is to us. Yep. And he is that protection. He is that 
intimacy. He's that shot, that wing that we can hide under. He is, he is the great I am. And no matter what goes on, he is still who he is yesterday and today and tomorrow. And our situation doesn't take away from who he is. And so who he is still deserves to be praised because he doesn't leave us nor abandon us. Even when things seem like we're alone, he walks through it with us. And I mean, for me, I thank God for that. Even through all the time that I went and was very rebellious and sunk into my hole, I know God was watching and coming after me. He says he leaves the 99, right? And I never felt like God said, you can't come back to me. I felt like he was always trying to pull me back. Where I was, I got so low where I just did not feel like I deserved it. Like, how could I even ask? And that's really why I asked for my divorce. I didn't even feel like I deserved the reconciliation. So I never even offered that. I was at such a low point. I never felt he stopped chasing me, but I felt I didn't deserve it. For Satan really controlled me in that thing. But yeah, God doesn't change. He he is faithful even when we are not. And so he's always worthy of that praise. So I, I do remember a time when I was in high school, I had a boyfriend and I was a Christian mm-hmm. and he was pastor's son and mm-hmm. we ended up being physical together. And I remember feeling so horribly guilty and nobody knew there right. was a big secret. And, and then we broke up and I was completely devastated. Mm -hmm. You know, I've been raised in the Christian church and my parents from the time I could remember were saying, you don't sleep with anyone that, that, you know, that's, that's only for the marriage bed. And so I felt like I was damaged goods and who could ever love me. And like, I was just eaten up with guilt. And for years, like, even after I the breakup and I turned my life over to Christ and I was really seeking him, I remember sitting and before I was doing my devotions in the morning and just feeling just so guilty. And so like, oh God, I just, no one's going to ever love me. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I'm damaged goods. No man's going to want me. And I remember um, I opened up my Bible and it was the story of Peter and the sheet is being let down and mm-hmm. he's all animals and God is saying rise up kill and eat and he's like no Lord these are unclean I'm not going to do that and it happens three times you know the story goes on that he's supposed to go and meet with Cornelius and all that stuff but um but God impressed upon me he said to him three times stop calling unclean what I have made pure amen Mm -hmm. and it was like wow so my name is Catherine it means pure Oh, and it was wow. like a double meaning, like, whoa, I mean, uh-huh. three times quit saying what I have made wow. clean, impure. Yeah. And I just, it was like, okay, Lord. And I, and it took, it took to that point until I could really like forgive myself mm-hmm. be like, you know what? It's the old clothes. I need yeah. to put those new clothes on. Mm-hmm. and move ahead because like I can't keep beating myself up or something that that Christ has forgiven me for right. Right. I don't want to keep putting him back up on the cross and trying to make him pay again for mm-hmm. something that I did and I just I had to be done with it yeah so. yep. yeah I think sometimes 
people look at the church and they say, well, it's, you know, it's the church's fault. You feel so guilty and blah, blah, blah. And it's not the church's fault. Satan puts that in our minds. We're all, all of us are dealing with it because the whole church are sinners gone to saints, right? Like none of us have a perfect past. We're all humans. Some of us have different levels of sins, you know, according to this earth, sin is sin in God's eyes. So we all have this different level of what we feel is acceptable or not acceptable, but God has come to set us free. And Satan doesn't want us to realize that he wants to continue. He's a liar. I mean, there's a reason he's called a liar, you know, and he does put those lies in our mind of you're still the same person. You're still the same person. And that's where the new clothes, I feel like that's really powerful in my mind because I can say, no, 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 I don't wear those clothes anymore. Like once you take off these dirty clothes, you Mm -hmm. don't put them back on again. Yeah. I've got these new clothes on. I'm, I'm, it's a whole different look it's not even the body i can think of all my mind or my thing i'm still the same person but no i have a different i have my new clothes on today you know and sometimes i think okay i I need to put on my shoes a piece today (laughs) (laughs) sometimes it's different clothes you have to put on but it's a recognition of like no there's a whole covering because we do have a covering it's the covering of the righteousness of christ Mm -hmm. it isn't what i did and it's not what you did you can't make yourself saved i can't make myself saved the other people in the church didn't save themselves. Mm-hmm. They too have the righteousness of Christ. And so we have to be very careful. I think not that the church can. I think we have to be very careful that we aren't, like you said, like before you went through the divorce, you were the, you know, the very domineering, the very, this is cut and dry, mm-hmm. but we have to remember who is the condemner and who's the convictor. And those are two different things. And when we start to condemn we're the father of condemnation is that's the accuser accuser that's satan we don't want to be under that conviction is different condemning says you did this you failed you are the most awful person in the world there's no space for you nobody else does it you know you're the only one conviction says i see that you're doing this and i can see it's hurting you and it's hurting your family and we want to come alongside you and help you let us help you get into where a position that you're no longer in this, this painful position. And they're two different things. And so we have to be very careful that we aren't coming and saying, Oh, you're a really bad person. We say, no, we see you really struggling in this hurt. Let us help you out. I don't know. That's where I want the podcast to be as people can see. There's a lot of us who are damaged goods. If you're a human, you're damaged goods. Nowhere in the Bible. Do I see God using a perfect person besides Christ? (laughs) Mm-hmm. Yeah. you know and that's where i'm like you know if god can use these other people in the bible who were damaged goods he can use me he can use you he can use a person listening to us doesn't matter what what we've struggled with in fact a lot of times those things that we've struggled with makes us the stronger person makes us who god god uses it to heal us he uses us the crushing you know he uses those hard times yeah it's like that brokenness Mm-hmm. We can hang on to our anger. We can hang on to our self-loathing, you know, right. our unforgiveness of ourselves or others, um, or we can surrender that to Him and be broken and allow His light to shine even more beautiful through us. Amen. So, tell the listeners where they can find you. So you can find me at Unstoppable Dash Joy um, on Facebook and at um, Spotify. And you can also email me personally at Catherine, K-A-T-H-R-Y-N at unstoppable-joy.com. 
That's awesome. So I hope you guys enjoyed the program today. I hope you enjoyed Catherine's story. She has so much more to share. So I know that you want to check her out, check out her podcast. If you are, you know, struggling through a divorce or you've gone through an abusive relationship, or you know what, you're just wanting to be encouraged. I know that Catherine has something that can encourage you today. So check her out. And we're just thankful that you you hung around with us today. And we just praise God that he takes broken people and he uses us and he heals us. He restores us. He's a God of restoration and, and he uses our broken pieces to to impact the world so if you are feeling broken in your life i hope that you hear that god still has purpose and plan for you today thanks jamie hey guys isn't Catherine fantastic i have really loved getting to know her and hear her story and through it all she has found her way back to joy so if you are living in a moment where you are not feeling the joy that comes from the savior My prayer for you is that you would return to Him, that you would accept His love, accept His forgiveness, and know that you are special and He loves you. Hey guys, if you have not clicked subscribe yet, would you subscribe today? And then, if you like this episode, please share it.